Bon Appetit Foodcast. I'm Adam Rappaport. On this week's episode, we are talking holiday cookies because it is that time of year. Senior food editor Chris Morocco joins us to talk about the recipes he developed for our December issue. Uh, they're batchable and swappable, and they're even glittery, not to mention delicious. But before we dive in, uh, I want to remind you about a very cool gift from Bon Appetit that you can give to your loved ones. Uh, you get a one-year subscription, a tote bag, a cookie scoop, a stasher bag, three BA cookie recipes, and score bars for snickerdoodles, which you'll hear about on this episode. Uh, it's a great last-minute gift idea, and well, you can print out a instant gift card that you can stuff into a stocking of choice for this holiday season. Uh, to get yours, go to bonappetit.com slash gift. All right, and now, here's the show. Chris Morocco, I have never made Christmas cookies before. <laughs> I wish I could say I was entirely surprised. Not not that surprised, I have to say. <laughs> not a big baker. Didn't grow up with the whole Christmas thing, but I, you know, I enjoy them. I you, what I do respect about them, and respect is a funny word when you're talking about cookies, <laughs> but over the last 8 years at this magazine, uh from your standpoint and your colleagues in the test kitchen, what an annual challenge it is to develop a roster of beautiful but tasty packable but scrumptious glittery but makeable cookies every single year i would argue that it's actually harder than thanksgiving oh yeah because thanksgiving it's like you, you just start with what you need to see on the table and then work backwards so oh. you know you need a turkey yes you know you need a stuffing you know you have to hit all these categories that are very well defined but when it comes to cookies you know what you think of as a holiday cookie and what i think of as a holiday cookie could be two very different things in fact I and that kind of happened might, this year yeah <laughs> well, i will also say this interestingly about thanksgiving is that you know, mashed potatoes are going to look like mashed potatoes. Stuffing generally is going to look something like stuffing. Exactly. It's not expected to be stunningly beautiful and sort of eye-catching in that way. Like, wow, I've never seen that before. It's like, mm -hmm. no, that's stuffing. Yeah. yeah. Uh, whereas there's that expectation with that sort of annual presentation of the Christmas cookie uh, lineup that you expect to be wowed. Surprised, delighted, yeah. all the above. Yeah. And I think it's it's a the the tricky part, you know, as a recipe developer is just getting that impact, but without making a cookie that's basically unmakeable. I feel like, you know, we've fallen into the trap in previous years of just making things that are over the top spectacular, but I mean my God. We call those photo shoot cookies. Yeah, photo shoot cookies, uh, exactly. So what I like about this year's lineup and and they're featured in the December issue of Bon Appetit, and we've got I wanna say six different cookies, I believe. Yeah. Um and I, I do feel that they're delicious. They seem pretty makeable, uh, but they also have some nice holiday pinache to them. So I want to run through. I'm gonna run through five of the six. I'll let you know which sure. one we're not running through. But we're gonna start off with the cover star, which I don't know, is kind of controversial. Raspberry Rugula. Yeah. I mean, on the cover of the holiday issue. It's not what any of us were expecting, to be honest. We thought it was zebra, zebra stripe um, shortbread for sure. But um, yeah, you guys, you know, we we went with rugula. But but this is not just. I, I feel like rugula is something. Um, if you're not familiar with, you often find in Jewish delis, and it's a little sort of rolled up, sort of nutty, cinnamony, jammy, whatever sort of thing. Um, these ones are glittering. They're red. They've 
they're shaped in a cool way. Talk to us about how you develop these and why they feel so holiday-ish. So, you know, one of the things that I've, like when I've noticed noticed about Rugula is that, you know, when you get that sort of mini croissant shape, Mm. I feel like they're always a little bit kind of heavy and so when they sort of taper off on either end so they really yeah so they literally each one is individually rolled you start with a like a you roll out your dough to a circle you cut the circle into long sort of rounded triangles and then you roll up the triangles such that you have like a little yeah kind of croissant shape we wanted to kind of expose more of these kind of cut sides so just like in, in thinking of the the architecture of the cookie wanted to kind of get across like a little bit extra kind of sense of drama of seeing all the swirls on both sides so you're it's a little bit easier and a little more streamlined from the standpoint of you know you're rolling out this your dough into kind of a big oval but then you just roll it up into a log once you've filled it and then you slice it into sort of triangle triangular sort of rolls yeah Yeah. so it's pretty cool so you see that sort of that spiral on the inside a couple quick things got a lot of cookies to get to i've made rugolo once uh cream cheeses in the dough why why cream cheese in the dough you know, that's a great question. Like why, you know, what it actually like comes from. I, I mean, a cream cheese dough is like a very kind of like standard kind of, you know, sort of short crust pastry dough. Um, and you always find it with rugula. It's just like, you know, it's traditional. Has a little so, richness to it. And... Massive amounts of richness. I mean, it you know, it becomes like very, very decadent. Um, but very easy to work with. Like yeah. it's a lot, you know, the, the, um, how the dough comes together is a lot less fussy kind of than like a pie dough, you know, or other kind of short crust Where pastry. Where you don't want to overwork it too much yeah. and you want to keep it just like Oreo biscuits and they want, you want the butter to stay in little chunks and all that you're, stuff. You're basically using cream cheese instead of water, yeah. but like making like a very easy pie dough, you know. Filling wise, what'd you guys go with this year? I love the kind of approach of using, you know, the kind of dried fruit, like the raisins or the currants and the nuts. Um, but because we wanted a kind of a range of kind of like makeability for these, we went with just store-bought jam, you know, and turned to trusty Bon Maman jam. Um, and their raspberry jam is fantastic. The thing about it is, you know, even though it has like a beautiful set and color to it, it's pretty sweet. So by doctoring that store-bought jam, adding some orange zest, adding a good amount of salt, you at least can kind of skew that that sort of store-bought jam in a little bit more of like a, a savory direction, which really works with the nature of rugula, which is, you know, most styles of which are, are pretty savory with that cream cheese dough and all the butter. I also think that's great advice. Like, not everything needs to be homemade. And we talk about that, you know, the way we cook at home. A lot of times I'll buy a can of black beans, but doctor it up with a little like mm-hmm. sort of sauteed onion, maybe a little garlic or jalapeno or whatnot. You can take things and, and the people who are eating it, they usually have no idea. They're like, no yeah, idea. this rugo is delicious. And the thing about like using like a really lovely, you know, store-bought jam is that it's going to be fully tight and set so that when you go to bake this thing, it's not going to run out all oh, over the place. Good point. Because when I started to, you know, kind of fool around with like, oh, maybe I want to do burnt honey and currants and all of this stuff. But, you know, a lot of that stuff will just liquefy as soon as it hits the, the heat of the oven and kind of run out on your baking sheet. Final question about the rugula. They are very, uh, they're very extra looking on the outside. What's going on with this sparkle? Well, you know, because I wanted these cookies to be makeable, but I also wanted them to dazzle a little bit, right? Cookies, they need to be delicious and they need to have like obviously great flavor and texture and everything, but they have to kind of frankly seduce you a little bit, you know? Well, Um, Well, especially holiday cookies. Like you can, if you're making peanut butter cookies at home on a weekend, like 
they should, yeah, they're beigey brown colored and they look like peanut butter cookies and that's fine. But holiday cookies, you want to be able to set them out at a party. You want to be able to pack them in a box that when you open them up, you're like, wow. There has to be a wow factor. And that's what you and I talked about. Oh, going for into, sure. There was, a, there was a reshoot on this story. <laughs> that The first one was not zhuzhy enough. So you zhuzhed them up beautifully. But so what is, where does the glitter come from on the rugula? So, yeah, we, um, yeah, you were really clear about what defines a <laughs> holiday cookie or an everyday cookie. And, you know, yeah, it was, it was great. We got sort of an, another chance to kind of get, get that, you know, right. But the, uh, so the rugula have um, freeze-dried raspberries, or you could use strawberries that are just sort of pulverized in a spice mill and then combined with a little granulated sugar. So you sprinkle some of that on um, uh, on top of your egg wash after you, um, right before you slice, sorry, the, um, the rugula, and then you add a little bit after when they're still kind of warm from the oven so it kind of clings. And so you get this like really rich, kind of oversaturated, kind of like bright red color on top of the rugula, yeah. which just doubles down on the raspberry and on the fruit and frankly on the holidays. Yeah. Good line. Next up, the zebra-striped shortbread cookies, which are stunners. They're, explain these, because these are these what one would call a slice-and-bake cookie? These absolutely are. So it's it's basically you, you cream together you know butter and sugar, and you sort of start with one base mixture, but then you divide that creamed buttery mixture into two bowls, one of which has sort of like your kind of like white stripes of the zebra and then your black stripes of the zebra. And um, so it's an easy way to kind of like make two cookies become one without having to actually make two cookies. So you have cookies. two bowls of dough. That two you, bowls of then dough. Then how do you combine that? So basically each, you know, dough stays separate until you, you know, you take a, a quarter of each mixture divide it onto two different sheets of parchment, and then you stack up alternating layers of dough such that oh. you kind of get that zebra stripe and in then cross you, section. And then you roll it into a log? You roll it into a log. So yeah, once all the dough is stacked, you just fold that top piece of the parchment over, you know, kind of um, cinch it tight, and then roll it into a log. And then once it's chilled, it's very easy to cut. I love a, a like a plain shortbread cookie, but frankly, they can be like a touch boring. Yeah. And I also love a chocolate shortbread cookie, but this just kind of brings those two together and then the key here and like the festive you know kind of wow factor comes in with all the kind of um, sparkly sanding sugars you can use like after you brush a little egg wash onto that log of chilled dough you can throw a rogues gallery if you will of different kind of colored sanding sugars. So you sugars. can make like one log with red one log with green. Totally. Or you what, can what subdivide is, them if you want. Subdivide yeah. of course. What What is sanding sugar exactly? Sanding yeah. sugar is just a very bright sort of super faceted um sort of sh big sugar crystals. Um, so you can find sanding sugars in various levels of sizes, sparkliness. The ones that we used in the magazine are these pearlized sanding sugars. So they have this kind of slight kind of like, um, you know, sort of opalescent, pearly kind pretty, of quality they look to like them. Something if like Mariah Carey was going to bedazzle her jean jacket. Oh, like, boom. Yeah. 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 You get that like, you know, that the stud gun, you know, boom. So Let's talk about the, the chocolate factor, which comes from Dutch processed cocoa powder. Yeah. Explain Dutch processed cocoa powder. Well, so it's cocoa that's been treated, um, I believe it's been alkalized, so treated with an alkali agent, which kind of mellows the some of the kind of like fruitier, more acidic qualities of the chocolate. So what it gets you is this rich, dark, like very dark 
kind of chocolatey flavor. And we used it, I'm almost positive, yeah, in the chocolate tahini Linzer cookies as well, because especially like in a cookie context, like you don't necessarily want some like bright, sharp, in your face kind of chocolate quality. You want that like, you know, that Oreo cookie flavor where mm. it's just like, it's not so much about the fruit of, you know, the, the fruitiness of the chocolate. It's just this like, in your face, like, wow, that is rich yeah, and there's dark. A, there's a darkness to it. Yeah, there's like a depth um, that you don't really usually get in, you know, non-Dutch processed cocoa powder. Okay. So a little bit goes like, frankly, like a long way. See, that's my question. Does it though? Because our digital director, Carrie Paulus, brought in some zebra-striped shortbread cookies yesterday to the office and they were tasty. Uh -huh. She did a good job rolling them up and everything. They were not nearly as dark as these. Do you think she didn't use enough cocoa powder? I would need to talk to Carrie Paulus <laughs> about what, which cocoa powder she used. And if we could get her on the line, that would be wonderful. Yeah. You just let me know when she's uh, available for comment, Emma. Emma, do you want to call call up <laughs> Carrie's office and see if she's at her desk right now? Usually, I mean, honestly, there there is a danger. So like when you're adding cocoa powder, especially to a cookie, you know, something, um, you know, where you've... You know, you've got like a very, um, you know, fine line between like adding too many dry ingredients and um, throwing off the balance of the cookie. You want the textures of the chocolate and the vanilla shortbread to be kind of in line, right? It wouldn't really work if you had like an incredibly firm chocolate layer with a very, you know, kind of like light, kind of crumbly oh, vanilla layer. So the layer. texture actually comes so into play. So the texture, yeah, because like when you're adding cocoa, that's that's kind of a dry ingredient and it can start to throw off like the balance. So, you know, it kind of, everything needs to sort of meld together well and hold together right, well, firmly. We, ju we just try to call Carrie Paul. Oh, so if man. we can get her, maybe you can, maybe you can slack her, Emma. Uh, we'll see if we can get her on the phone I in a minute. I think it definitely would not be nearly as chocolatey flavored if you used non-Dutch processed cocoa. Oh, that's interesting. But okay. that's my working theory. Uh, I hope not to be disproven. So if you could maybe just cl you know clear that with her before you bring her on the line. I feel, all right, so all right, you have the, the, the raspberry ruggolo, which was the cover star and that nice sparkly sort of strawberry raspberry color. Uh, the I think the, the, the zebra stripes were the boldest and the most eye-grabbing and that black and white with the glittery uh, sand and sugar on the outside. But I kind of feel like the snickerdoodle party cookies were the office favorite. I feel like those oh, really? are the ones that people kept grabbing for and, and whatnot. It's Let's interesting. talk about these. Commenters online have been a, a little bit perplexed by, I think, like, you know, the, um, the cardamom kind of forward quality of these. Oh. And, you know, some people have been super into them. Like, we certainly, you know, we made these and handed them out at our podcast last week, our live podcast at the Bell House. And I, you know, I heard very, very rave reviews. So, yeah, so, so talk about them because there's like the cornflakes in there. There's like, what's going on with these cookies? So this, here's my thing. A cookie, like a snickerdoodle cookie, let me just be specific. Most of the time, I just feel like they fall completely flat. Well, they're basically just like a- It's just a sugar a, a, cookie. It's kind of like a cinnamon cookie, a sugar cookie that's got cinnamon. Yeah, and it's usually kind of a desultory uh, amount of, you know, cinnamon being added. And at the end of the day, it's just a plain sugar cookie. Um, and that to me has so little intrigue and so little like depth of flavor. 
Um, when I think of the holidays, I think of, you know, people start to use spices in, in ways that they often like don't in the rest of the year, yes. you know, and like, you know, when we were looking at like the holiday mains and what, you know, kind of what we wanted to kind of get there, you know, the, the jerk spice roast duck, you know, and just like all the all spice and you just, this is just, it felt like an opportunity to bring a massive amount of flavor that might be a little bit unexpected. So like when you, you know, talk about like what a, a holiday, you know, Christmas, cookie should look like i also you know i'm really thinking about what a holiday or christmas cookie should taste like and i think with cardamom it's interesting because in one hand we think of indian food often with a lot of cardamom but it also skews sort of scandinavian with like the morning buns and whatnot yeah so, so you so you have the cardamom but you have a lot else going so this i would never even think of this as a as a snickerdoodle because you also have cornflakes in here <laughs> yeah and you also have score bars chopped up. Like I, that's the only time you see score bars are when people. Did whoever goes to the store, I'm like, I really want to buy a score, a score bar. I'm at the Dwayne Reed. I'm going to buy myself a score bar. Yeah, I feel like who bakers wants a Snickers use them. Or, a, yes. or a Milky Way. Yeah, but score bars are one of those things that just show up for baking time. Yeah. So how did you go from Snickerdoodle to cornflakes, cardamom, and score bar? And should we even call, be calling these a Snickerdoodle? Probably not. I'm sure like you know half of the comment haters online are like just upset about the name. <laughs> you know, which is like fair enough, okay. But but the snickerdoodle really is your way in because it's a time when you get this like chewy, crispy cookie um, that combines like those that element of like a little bit of chew in the center with yep. a crispy edge around. Um, and it gives you a little bit of that spice note, but we just wanted to kind of go all the way. So bring like that cardamom flavor, get the cinnamon, um, you know, in the mix. And then the cornflake is all about just adding that extra texture, that extra kind of element that takes you to that chewy, crispy place. Oh, I like that. Um, they crisp up incredibly well in the oven. It's not a particularly long bake time or anything, so it's not like they're going to brown or, yeah. you know, like over, you know. Um, oh, but, yeah, it's only about 13 minutes in the oven. So you used to have that chewy center, but then the brittle crispiness of the cornflake. Exactly. And you get those little bites of the, the score bar. The little bits of the toffee. The, mm. the reason for the score bar is just that it is literally perfect English toffee, and it's out there, and you can find it tons of places. Heath Bar works beautifully. Like, some people have asked me if that's an acceptable sub. Like, absolutely. Um, it's one of those few things that, honestly, like, English toffee, like that kind of stuff, it gets hard to make at home. It would be such a oh, yeah, bummer. No, and and not, you'd totally no, call not, me yeah, out on that. Yeah. Believe me, I, I would not have wanted to come in here having made like toffee shards. <laughs> and you, you would know? literally be getting yelled at right oh, now. Oh, completely. So <laughs> thank you for sa saving me that uh, <laughs> that, that pleasure. Um, okay, then also, all right, so you've got these sort of basic round cookies with the little bits of the cornflakes and whatnot and the score bars in there. And then. The finishing touch. All right. So the the, the first cookie, the rugula, we had the dried raspberries or strawberries pulverized with regular granulated sugar. Second one, the zebra stripes. We had them ringed um, with the pearled sanding sugar. Sanding sugar. This one is sort of sprinkled with luster dust or luster disco dust. dust. Yeah. What is luster dust, and where do you get that? Well, um, <laughs> when uh, Claire when Claire left uh, kind of at the end of the summer, um, went sort of like on hiatus shortly, she left me with her kind of bag of tricks for like cake and cookie decorating, yeah. which meant I inherited all her sanding sugars, all of like the luster dusts, um, you know, kind of leftover from previous years, cookie and other kind of, uh, you know, baked good and dessert development. So luster dust, it's um, it's not entirely clear what's in there. We're, we, we know it's not non-toxic because uh, okay. it 
it says so right on the on the jar so you know it's cool um, on appetit our recipes are non-toxic <laughs> i mean the ingredient the ingredients like you know with some of them are a little bit om- ominous it's like kind of like sort of like silica and yeah, like yeah. sort of gel don't want to know whatever and food coloring so this but, is like a fairy dust and you can get it in gold or i like the iridescent rainbow type yeah that it kind of every angle you get you look at get a different color when you look at the cookie this one was labeled like yeah rainbow disco dust and you know obviously it's completely superfluous 100 percent unnecessarily but damn it looks good yeah chris you know what we're not going to talk about we're not going to talk about the grapefruit bars with candied zest because <sighs> this story is called batchable swappable packable shareable cookies you cannot pack like lemon curd bars. Adam, you can, throw, you can throw some saran wrap over the tin you bake them in no, and put them in the back the of the car. to a party and then have to slice it and then get a plate to serve it. And then be I, like hanging around afterwards. Oh, can I get my tin back? Yeah. <laughs> like, no. So we're just ignoring that one. If anyone wants to write an angry letter, they can send it to me and we'll have a nice little dialogue. It's okay. You can send it to me. Also, I don't like like I don't like citrusy curdy. Really? That's not even a that's not a holiday cookie. That's not a cookie, it's a bar. So I'm not not even having this discussion. I I, I kind of knew that was gonna be the one that yeah. you were gonna call out. I mean look There's I, always one. There's always it's like one. The, it's like the runt of the litter. <laughs> there's always one. And I have to say, I mean, in my defense with that one, I I just wanna point out we did not do the style of kind of lemon or citrus or grapefruit bar where, you know, you just mix everything, dump it on top of a pre baked crust and then bake it. The thing is like look real things happen when you're on a photo shoot and when you're in like the set environment and like these um my whole approach was that i wanted to make a a citrus bar that was beautiful enough that you didn't have to just dump confectioner's sugar all all over it to make it look pretty but at the end of the day everybody was looking at it on set and they're they were just like you know what this needs some confectioner's sugar sugar. and i was like okay well you know what you know what we've spent enough time talking about the grapefruit bars (laughs) Okay, I, I'm a pecan guy, the double pecan thumbprints. This is a cool riff of like typically thumbprint cookies, which we all know have the little well of like jam, glistening jam in the middle. These are pecan on pecan. Explain these guys. Yeah, um, I, this, you know, these, while they're not the same kind of like visual, like just like absolute out and out stunner of like a couple of the other ones, I, I'm so proud of these. I think they're really cute. I think they're really cool and I've I've never really seen anything quite like this before. I'm sure people, letters will flood in pointing out how wrong I am about that, but whatever. <laughs> so you have um, kind of a thumbprint cookie that's based loosely on the kind of um, like a nut a nut based um, Mexican wedding cookie, or po- my grandma would call them Polish rum balls or butter balls. They get a little cracked. Yeah, so they, you know, these, like, they, they kind of get a little bit cracked, um, you know, because you push them, you sort of thumbprint them down or use the, uh, the end of a wooden spoon or something um, halfway through the bake so that you kind of force apart those kind of, like, those craggy, cracked oh, edges. Oh, you do it halfway through. You do it halfway through. So that's through. why it cracks. If mm-hmm. you do it in the beginning, it if, would just stay. Yeah, they oh. would just kind of puff around, yeah, yeah. Um, and they would kind of fill that, that sort of, like, that hole. So when you push, you know, you push down the center of each cookie, you dollop a little bit of a pecan frangipan and that's like a scary word for something that's like actually you know pretty simple which is just more of the ground pecans that you needed for the cookie anyway 
um, egg white, sugar, a little bit of butter, a little bit of doll of a dollop in that. Oh, and we used a little bit of espresso powder too, just for like a little bit extra oomph in the see, flavor. I see, you see that again? I'm not a baker, but I've, <laughs> I've read some cookbooks, and you'll see that a lot of times with some of like the hardcore baker types who will often add a bit of espresso, for instance, to some of their chocolate desserts. That yeah, the, the espresso sort of adds a base note. What does it? What does that bring to the equation? Yeah, it adds this extra depth of flavor. Um, almost like it's not entirely the same, but like the way like adding salt to mm-hmm. something that's sweet yeah. brings out flavor. Espresso, you know, you'd, you'd be hard pressed to read it as like actual out and out coffee flavor, yeah. but it gives you a little bit of something. Something you savory depth. almost, because it's not sweet. Mm-hmm. And for me, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a reasonably okay baker, but I love a savory quality to my desserts. You have to have them. Yeah. That's why everyone likes Snickers and Reese's. Oh, sure. You, you, you gotta have yeah. that saltiness. So you, you, you halfway out, you put the thumbprint in there, you spoon a little bit of frangipan, and then you put a whole pecan atop that? On top, yep. So when it completes the bake, you know, the, the frangipan kind of cooks through, puffs up around the, um, the the pecan because of the egg white, you know, kind of gives it a little bit of lift. Um, and these, you know, we did finish with a little bit of um, the confectioner sugar. Again, I mean, nothing says kind of holiday and snow and fun, like a little bit of dusting of uh, powdered sugar uh, on occasion. But- Yes, it's um, weird, because I usually, and I've yelled at you guys about this before. Like <laughs> when we shoot pasta and someone like does a shower of grated parm on top of the pasta and then you take an overhead photo, That's the light see. and the flash, all you see is like the whiteness of the of the parm bouncing back at you and you don't see the saucy, glossy noodles. Yeah. So but this like th- this is less obtrusive, it feels like for some reason, the the confectioner's sugar. You you would be stunned at how little is on there and you yeah. see you see, well, you say, so you, you see so individual flex as opposed to like a showering of exactly it. It, it it doesn't take much before everything is completely obscured and we actually we roll the balls of um the dough before they're baked in confectioner's sugar which gives you a little bit of a kind of um a little bit of like a sheen to the cookie so that was another thing that i just felt was like kind of a cool kind of like riff because normally like a um a butter ball a polish rum ball a, an italian wedding cookie um you know you are rolling them in powdered sugar after they're baked and i carla even shared like this anecdote that like her mom used to actually pack the that style cookie in powdered sugar for oh, transport i've seen that yeah so they you know, don't break into each other exactly so you know when you when you put that sure, on, she, was, sure she wasn't smuggling cocaine and just <laughs> <laughs> no no <laughs> um there's, you know, there, there's that clint eastwood movie the mule coming out oh yeah that might have been carla's grandmother i'm sure it was all hmm. like started based on her cookies. story yeah, yeah. <laughs> um before we get to the last cookie we have a sidebar called the toolkit Four things that every baker should own. First of all, parchment paper sheets. Can I? Do I need those to put them on the sheet tray? What, what's what's the deal you with parchment? You really paper? need it. You just need it. You don't want to mess around with greasing cookie sheets. Mm. You know, you can practically put especially down especially parchment. if you have like oozy jam and stuff oozing out, oh. then it burns on the sheet, and that's why my sheet trays are all discolored. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean that's you know, uh, parchment is just kind of a non-negotiable when it comes to baking. You also say, um, and yeah, you can buy them at any most. Any baking store, most grocery stores, certainly. Uh, also, uncoated or natural aluminum baking sheets. Um, this is interesting. Where do you fall um, on baking sheets with sides versus without sides? I, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy who puts on goggles before cracking open a coconut. I need those sides. I need the insurance, you know. Oh, is this Gary Paulus? We have Let's a caller. Answer that. Let's, you want to answer that, Chris? Carrie Paulus, how you doing? I'm doing great. 
Uh, so Chris and I were doing our cookie podcast here, and we were talking about the zebra shortbread cookies, and I was talking about how tasty yours were yesterday. Thank you. However, <laughs> did you notice, Carrie, <laughs> that your zebra shortbreads, the chocolate parts, were not as dark as Chris's were in the photo of in the magazine? Yes, and I know why, too. Oh, please oh, tell us. Enlighten us. Um. Okay, so in the recipe, it says, you know, you make the vanilla dough, you make the chocolate dough, and then you divide, I think, like the creamed butter sugar mixture evenly between the two doughs. Correct. Well, I understand that when you say evenly, perhaps you should measure that. But I we, just, which we did. We gave you, I, I know, we, yeah, about I a cup each. It, <laughs> oh. Which led to a little bit more vanilla dough than chocolate dough, which would, I think, contribute to the change in color and the fact that there was actually just less chocolate that didn't go well, all the way to the edge. Also, Carrie, can you tell me what what, what cocoa powder specifically, like brand, um, yeah, did you use? Yeah, so that's another great question where I know it said Dutch processed cocoa powder, and what I used was what was in an unmarked Tupperware container. <laughs> Does nobody care about the rules? Cocoa powder. Oh, my God. Chris just gave that expression of like, what did I tell you? Uh, Carrie, okay. honestly, I will, I'll pay you $10, uh, you know, afterwards for uh, corroborating my story. Thank you. Because you were like, she didn't use the right cocoa powder? For sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I knew the risk going in, but I, I felt like it was worth taking to not buy more cocoa powder. Um, let me ask you this, Carrie. Will you perhaps make them again for the holidays? I would make them again. This is probably, to be honest, the most complicated cookie I've ever made. What? Oh, not it's because so it was that complicated, easy. but there are two doughs, and then you have to stack things on top of each other, which that was a whole new world for me. Carrie. I had Carrie. To measure a rectangle of dough. I used a tape measure. Carrie. She'll use a Carrie. tape measure, but not the right cocoa powder. It's called baking. It's, it it's called baking. <laughs> I know. I think even those. All right. Well, you're going to get a second chance and make sure you bring them in next week and we can all judge them then. Okay. Okay. Deal. Thanks, Carrie. Thank Bye-bye. you. Bye. All right. So that was our digital director. Carrie Ball is good guessing, Chris. <laughs> Woo. Wow. I am like so relieved. I'm just going to coast the rest of this. <laughs> all right. Sheet tray. Oh, the, oh the, what's nice about the sheet trays that don't have sides is that you can, the spatula can get right in there. Something, it can, you know I mean? and you can, you, yeah. I mean, but, and they, but it does make sure you don't ever make something on there that is juicy that's going to drip off. Right, and you need to kind of like anchor if you if you put parchment on top of that, you kind of need to anchor the parchment when you go to slide it out of the oven because otherwise it'll be like you know pulling like a pizza oh. peel and like the cookies and the parchment stays and yeah. you take away the the the, the, the sheet tray. Uh, do you do that thing with baking? I, I've been taught one time, although I don't bake, but uh, take a little dab of like butter and stick it under the parchment on each corner just to sort of anchor it. For sure. Yeah. People do that all the time with shoe pastry, butter, even like nonstick spray just for spraying, adhering yeah. the, the parchment to Spe- the baking Especially sheet. if you're ever doing Great. a convection oven where there's a fan going. Oh, and it can blow up yeah. and the corner can fall. Um, I love this next one, cookie scoop. Just those cool little, like, it's like a miniature ice cream scoop with the little spring-loaded sort of handle and everything. They are so great. I mean, when I think of the time I spent as a kid, like, monkeying around, like, with two spoons uh, trying, to, yeah. trying to make even cookies, of course. Especially if, yeah, if you're making a lot of cookies, I think that's an essential one. It's just a cool thing to have. Uh, finally, rolling pin. What kind of rolling pin do you like? 
I like an American pin with the, with the ball with the ball bearing. You oh know? wow! So you don't like the French kind? Like we, we show a picture of the kind that is like <sighs> tapered at either end and doesn't have handles and stuff. You, you like... know what? You know what it was? It, Al, it's like watching Allison Roman attack Pido with an American rolling pin and seeing her like just reduce it to was submission. That, was that one of those days when Roman was pissed off about something? Oh yeah, <laughs> and like the messy bun was like flying yeah. and like the hands are shooting out. You know, like a thousand times a minute. No, I mean you. I think you can you can keep a straight wrist and better leverage with an American style pin with the with the ball bearings. Whereas with a French pin, your wrists are flexed. You know, you yoga, you know, practice practicing mm. folks will know like it's, I would it, it can that. be hard on your wrists. I, I do yoga now and then with my wife. Good for and you, man. I you know, yeah, I should do more, but this one place she goes to, uh what's it what anyways, Abby is a teacher, but these she's really big on the turning your wrist backwards and putting all your weight oh, and I feel like my God. wrists are going to snap through my skin and it's oh, going to yeah. be really ugly. And that'll be all over. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> apparently it's good for you. Um, <laughs> final cookie and I think these ones are the one cookie we have in the mix um, where you bring cookie cutter sort of shapes and stuff into the, uh, the the equation. The chocolate tahini Linzer cookies which are interesting. I think we all know Linzer cookies where you have the bottom cookie some sort of like raspberry jam and then the cutout that goes on top. Yeah. How did these cookies come about? You know, I like I was saying, uh, you know, a minute ago, like I love a savory quality to my baked goods and my sweets. And, you know, it's no exception with cookies. So a Linzer cookie to me, if, if you have a very new like a, a traditional Linzer cookie, you know, you've got like this neutral kind of melt in your mouth, kind of like cookie. But that is like pretty neutral in flavor. You just mainly taste like butter and a little vanilla. And then you put like a very sweet jam in it. To me, I don't know. There's just not enough kind of contrast. So, um, you know, so bringing like sort of like just that that desire for, um, you know, kind of a little bit more savory balance. I'm using like a lot of Dutch processed cocoa powder. So you have a very chocolatey cookie. Yeah, very also very crisp. I mean, it's it's like the color of almost the color of an Oreo. It's like it's almost black. Completely. Yeah. Assuming you use the right kind of cocoa powder. And assuming of it. you use yes. the right one. Miss uh, Paulus. Yeah. Um, so, um, yeah. So then you have the filling where the, the base of it is just a chocolate ganache, um, which is just kind of melted chocolate um, normally, you know, with cream. So it kind of lightens it and it allows the chocolate to set in a kind of like more yielding sort of like texture. But we're using tahini instead, just a small amount of tahini um, instead of cream or, you know, kind of other additional dairy so that you can kind of like you can mix and match. You can use a little bit of you could do this with dark chocolate, milk chocolate, um, or white chocolate. And the tahini just gives like that savory kind of nutty, um, like touch of like sharpness from, from the sesame. Yeah. And tahini is made with sesame seeds. Um, is there anything, if people who haven't bought tahini or baked with it before, anything they should know about it? This is like a very easy way in. This mm -hmm. is like, you know, honestly, it's just melting chocolate with tahini in it. You can do it in the microwave. You don't have to use a double boiler or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and it's it's just, you know, it. I, I, I love that kind of like savory aspect. There's something obviously like chocolate and tahini, like we've, you know, really work well together. We did, you know, chocolate tahini brownies for a healthy-ish, you know, a couple huge years ago. Which huge, year. yeah, yeah, and we've done, um, you know, a couple, couple years i think it was was it anna posey did like the halva you know the black and white uh, yeah, halva yep, yep. cookies for the holidays i mean it's it's kind of well-trod territory i just think you haven't kind of quite seen it like this yeah um and so yeah so you have cutouts of different shapes um i mean i 
I usually think white chocolate is nonsense, but it's it looks cute here where you have like the white cookies and you got the chocolatey ones and the darker ones. And it's, yeah, like if, again, <laughs> it, Christmas cookies need to be decorative, and I think the white chocolate adds a nice dimension to these cookies. Yeah, and and plus you have the balance of a very rich chocolatey cookie. So I mean, a little bit of white chocolate, like this this is a place where I think it kind of earns it uh, earns a spot in the lineup. All right, Christopher Morocco, hell of a job on the 2018 holiday cookies. <laughs> Thank uh, you. you can find them, everybody, on newsstands now in the December issue of Bon Appetit. Thanks for coming, Chris. Thanks, man. The Bon Appetit Foodcast is produced by Carrie Polis and Christina Che and produced and edited by Emma Wartsman. Our theme music is by Nathaniel Wartsman. We have new episodes every Wednesday, and if you want to tell us about this or any other episode, email us at bonappetitfoodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.